This PBS NewsHour podcast is supported in part by Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Their scientists played a substantial role in developing more than half the cancer drugs approved by the FDA in the last five years. Dana-Farber Cancer Institute is changing lives everywhere. Find out more at DanaFarber.org slash everywhere. For more on the humanitarian situation in Gaza, we turn to Jeremy Kanondike. He's the president of Refugees International. That's a global humanitarian organization. He previously served in the Biden administration as executive director of USAID's COVID-19 task force. Thanks for coming in. My pleasure. This incident in Gaza City, as we saw in Nick's report, Israeli forces firing on a crowd of Palestinians waiting for aid. At least 100 people were killed. It's not clear how many people were killed from gunfire or in the ensuing panic. What more can you tell us about what transpired and and really what contributed to it? Well, one thing that I think is really notable here is that the traditional humanitarian organizations seem not to have been involved at all. So this did not involve the UN Relief and Works Agency or other UN bodies that are normally involved in coordinating major distributions. Uh, This seems to have been organized more by the Israeli government. It was secured, as as Nick reported, by Israeli tanks. Uh, that's, that's not typical of a humanitarian distribution, and it suggests this is Israel trying to find some other ways to show that they're doing something without actually working with the humanitarian capacity that exists in the territory. The UN says a quarter of Gaza's population is one step away from famine, infants dying from yeah. starvation. Your team was just on the ground there. What did they encounter and what did they witness about yeah. really the unspeakable devastation there? They heard uh, just shocking stories of the, the damage from the war. They talked to, uh, they talked to one man who was a pediatric surgeon in the European hospital in Khan Yunus who told the story of his, his brother and his nephew. So his brother had a, a child, five-year-old child with cerebral palsy who uh, had, he didn't want to evacuate their home because the child didn't do well outside the house. Their house was raided by the IDF. Both of the parents were killed, uh, and the child's older brother then had to drag him uh, overnight to the hospital. Uh, the five-year-old had caught shrapnel in the face. He ended up losing his eye. Um, you know, it is just all of these stories of incredible deprivation, incredible harm to civilians, and really, you know, as we saw with the report today, to all appearances, really indiscriminate military action by the IDF. The Biden White House is considering airdropping aid into Gaza, given the dire need and the slower pace of land deliveries. You could argue that that's one solution, but not the best solution, given that, you know, how do you get aid to 2.4 million people? Are there other viable routes to not just get aid in, but to make sure it is delivered in a fair and logical manner? Yeah. Uh, so when I served, I served previously in the Obama administration and led disaster response there. So I used to coordinate airdrops like this, and we only used them when we had absolutely no other option because they're the worst way to get aid in. They, they cost a lot of money, they are difficult to mount logistically, and they get very little volume in. What we need to see is opening of border crossings. We need to see Israel doing much more to facilitate humanitarian action. They have been actively blocking humanitarian groups from getting into northern Gaza and restricting access even to southern Gaza. We're only resorting to airdrops because, uh, because of the blockages by the Israeli government. The other side of that, though, is how do you do that when the IDF is fighting the better part of, what, some 20,000 Hamas fighters who are underground with hostages who are engaged in this high-intensity combat operation against the IDF? They are engaged in a pretty difficult uh, combat operation. They've also conducted that in an extraordinarily indiscriminate way now for five months. 
And uh, the way that they have conducted the war, even U.S. government officials, even the president himself has said it's indiscriminate and uh, you know, the words he used, over the top. If they had conducted this war differently, it would be a lot easier. It would not be easy, but it would be a lot easier for humanitarians to operate there. But the way Israel has conducted the war has made it nearly impossible because they have not done it in line with international law and the expectations outlined there. As Amna reported earlier in this broadcast, the Gaza Health Ministry is reporting now that 30,000 Palestinians have been killed yeah. by Israeli attacks since the start of this offensive. That figure, even though it comes from the Gaza Health Ministry, is, is widely viewed as the most reliable figure available. What does that say about the way that Israel is conducting this war? I think it just underscores the indiscriminate nature of, of what they've done. Um, to go five months to have made as little progress as they have against their own objectives, their own military objectives, uh, while incurring this amount of civilian damage, it, it is the definition of, of disproportionate and indiscriminate military action under international law. And um, you know, the U.S. government has yet to take a firm stance on that. They're going to need to because the Rafa offensive, which could be looming in the next few weeks, uh, would put to, you know, would, would overshadow anything that's happened in this war to date. Every offensive so far, people have been able to move out of the way. Not everyone, but a lot of people have been able to move out of the way. With Rafa, there's nowhere left to go. So this would be happening amidst a civilian population in a literal tent camp. It would be devastating. Jeremy Kanondike, thanks so much for your time and for your insights this evening. We appreciate it. My pleasure. This PBS NewsHour podcast is supported in part by Wondery. In the decades before the Civil War, slavery's grip on America tightened, but soon a diverse group of abolitionists, both black and white, began to construct a clandestine path to freedom for the enslaved, the Underground Railroad. Fugitive slaves and anyone helping them faced terrible violence and even death if caught. But for those brave enough to risk the journey, the Underground Railroad offered a path to the northern states and Canada, where their freedom was assured. Hosted by Lindsey Graham, Wondery's podcast, American History Tellers, takes you to the events, times, and people that shaped America and Americans, our values, our struggles, and our dreams. Follow American History Tellers on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge this season American History Tellers, The Underground Railroad, early and ad-free, right now on Wondery+. Plus.